this episode, I'm answering 12 questions related to job hunting, which I received throughout this year of 2021. These questions are about job application, working with recruiters, resignation, and much, much more. For example, what should you do if you don't want to continue interviewing for a job? How do you get out of it? How to connect with a recruiter when you haven't heard from them in a while? And how to ask for feedback if the job didn't go your way? Do you want to know the answers to these questions? Keep listening. Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. But first, I want to let you know that you can now access the Reset Your Career Workshop and Action Plan on demand. As some of you may know, in November 25th, I ran my annual four-hour workshop, Reset Your Career, with four masterclasses, including decision-making techniques, job hunting techniques, and job interviewing techniques. Lots of techniques to help professionals get out of the rut and kickstart their career planning. I do this uh, around the end of the year because I think it's a special time when people are really about to reflect, if not already reflecting on what they've achieved in this year, what they want to achieve next year. And the Researcher Career is really designed to help you do that. Since running the workshop on the 25th of November, I've made the recordings now 100% accessible with lifetime access for you for $219. Yep, it's not much. It's a lot of content in there for you. And it's a great investment if you are about to spend some time reflecting and getting ready strategically, planning for your next steps in your career. There's more than just those four workshops. Here's a recap of what you, you, you can expect to see inside your online platform for Research Your Career. There, there is the four-hour interactive workshop with me that's being recorded live and that's available to you with lifetime access. There are several other resources, including the 31 Days of Action Plan. Every day you will receive an email from me with one action that you need to take to kickstart your successful career plan. This action plan is loved by clients and experts. It's a real success. I have several praises and testimonials of people that have used it and really enjoyed the step-by-step sound bites system that I've created, which doesn't overwhelm people. It's much easier to execute. You can kickstart it whenever you're ready. You can start it on the 1st of January. You can start it today. You can start it Monday. It's really up to you. You decide when to start. And you can restart it at any time as well. There is also a library of tools and resources to help you get wherever you need to go with your career. There are templates for resumes and cover letters, email templates to connect with the right recruiters. There's a list of action verbs that you can use to um, create your documents, you know, be it LinkedIn profiles or resumes. There's a LinkedIn checklist guidebooks and workbooks for you to use. There's a whole list of um, resources on the uh, landing page for Research Your Career. So if you, if you want to know exactly what's in there, please go to my website to find out. Research Your Career is also a great Christmas gift. If you know anybody that will benefit from it, if that's not you, why not buy it for somebody else this Christmas? So if you want to give it as a gift, there's definitely a way of doing it. You can purchase it and then get in touch with me immediately and I will allocate the access to whoever you want to allocate it to. We can negotiate that by email. It's all fine. It's a small 
nimble company here and we are as a team happy to help you. So please consider giving this great gift to somebody who will benefit from resetting their careers. Okay, now let's go to our question, shall we? I named this question, I changed my mind. It's question number one. It says, I recently applied for a job and after making it through the second round of interviews, I am questioning whether I should proceed with the next stage. After the interview, I'm not sure that I'd like the role if, it, if I were to be selected. This is a great question and it, it's a good reminder for everybody that an interview goes both ways. It's a two-way street. They're interviewing you, but you're also finding out about the organization. And there could be red flags throughout the application process from the time you look at the position description, if it's confusing, if it's not well written, if nobody gets back to you for weeks and, you know, the way that people um, get in touch with you, if it's professional, then you go to an interview, do you get a good vibe, do you feel comfortable with the people that are interviewing you? And if you are in a position, a privileged position where you don't have to accept a job, you're not financially constrained, then it's time to consider, you know, do you want a job in this company or not? You don't have to accept it only because they offer it to you. But you also don't need to pull out from the um, recruitment and selection process if you want to continue going and understanding and learning more about the organization if you're still not sure it's okay to pull out at the end remember that this is an unbalanced system where the employers usually have most of the power they are interviewing a lot of people and they are picking one and they are in brackets wasting your time <laughs> by not giving you the job right so there is also the opportunity for you to take advantage of that imbalance in the process to use the process to enhance your, your job hunting skills, enhance your interviewing skills, feel less stressed and more comfortable um, in the interviewing process so that when the next position comes, you will be much more fluent, much, you have a better pitch, a better answer to your questions, to the questions in the job interview. So my suggestion is, if you have the time and if you're not super busy, even if you don't want the job, keep going and find out more about the organization so that you get the practice. It's very rare that we're put into that situation where, you know, you have the stress of the interview. Um, it is a stressful situation. Most people think it's stressful. So if you can use that as an opportunity to continue practicing, I would suggest that you do that. But if you're super busy and you know for sure you don't want the job, pull out. And if you really want to do that, it's important to do that in a way that's diplomatic, that doesn't burn any bridges, right? So it might be that the recruiter might be an interesting recruiter for you, might be that this is not the right opportunity for you, but the company is really great. So you don't want to close any doors. And the best thing to do is to say, after further reflection, I have come to the conclusion that this is really not the right opportunity for me at this stage of my career. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. And it was great to apply for the role so that I could crystallize my ideas and, you know, what I really want. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for considering me for this first few rounds. I don't want to waste any more of your time. I know how busy you are. So I am pulling out of the race. So you do that in a way that doesn't give them feedback. You know, we often as candidates complain that we don't have feedback from recruiters and employees. So it would be great for you if you could give some feedback for, uh, for them 
hopefully without burning those bridges because it's a small world and you never know, you know, if you may need that recruiter or that employer again in the future. So in summary, apply for the experience and to sample organizations and to learn more about what's in the market and how to interview and how to go go through interviews with more poise and confidence and a better pitch over time. When If you need to stop the process, remember not to burn bridges and to provide feedback that is useful for them and that they can understand the reason why you're pulling out. And remember that an interview goes two ways. It's a two-way street and it's not just them interviewing you. It's you really making a decision about where to go next with your career. And it's just as important for you as it is for them to go through that process. All right. Question number two. I named this question, how far is too far? Is it okay to leave off a few years of your early career? How much is okay to leave off? This is a really interesting question. I go through this with my clients all the time and people that book consultations with me to review resumes. And uh, there's not really a right or wrong answer. As a rule of thumb, I think it's okay to go as far back as 2000. I work with clients that are older. They're in their 40s and 50s. So they may have worked in the 90s and 80s and sometimes even 70s, and that's totally fine. But the the, the fact that these have been done such a long time ago and don't have the recency anymore, it's probably not a good idea to include them in your resume. Your resume is not a, a historical account of everything that you've done. So don't feel like you have to add everything to your resume. You have to play to your strengths. And the recency of the work that you've done in the past 10, 15, 20 years is fine. Um, You may even have less than 20 years. You can have 15 or 10. It really depends. It depends on the type of candidate that you are, which sector and country you're working with. And look at other people's resumes if you can, if you can ask for people to share with you their resumes and how they present themselves. It may give you clues. Look for people that have recently been hired and ask if they can send you their resume so you can have a look. But remember to play to your strengths. So for example, if you started very strongly in your career, by that I mean, you know, you were hired by a very competitive graduate intake program, like one of the investment funds, banks, consultancy companies, large organizations that, you know, usually go through a very competitive process to get the best possible graduates. Not everybody gets into those programs. And I say, look, maybe show it, you know, and maybe um, have that in your resume. Another reason why I would pull things out of the, you know, the Pandora docs of your past. Another reason why I would add something from your deep past is, for example, if you served in the military service and the job is more of a crisis management type job, I'll give you an example. Let's say it was a job to deal with the recovery here in Australia after the bushfires that we had in 2019. And they were looking for senior project managers and these candidates had served in the army way back. I think it's a great idea to tell them that you have that training because that training may be very useful in an emergency type organization dealing with the recovery of cities, towns, parks. It was a major fire in Australia. So and there were there were lots of that that we were kind of picking specific people that had the background to manage the logistics and the discipline of dealing with a very big crisis. 
So you have to play to your strengths and play to the best possible competitive advantage for you as a candidate for that job. But as a rule of thumb, go back as far as 2000 and yeah, that should that should help you, I hope. <laughs> Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear back from you if you've been successful with a different format. Number three, internal competition. Internal competition is, I've received several questions this year, both from my clients and my group coaching. And it seems to be something that people are very concerned about, especially in 2021. Here's the question. I had an interview today for a role. At the end of the interview, they informed me that they had an internal candidate who was at the end stage of the process as well. Although I believe it is positive the company now knows me and I have got to know their HR team, I noticed that this has happened to me a few times now. Is it wise to ask the recruiter whether there is an internal candidate? And how is that question perceived? Well, first of all, it is a great... Um, sign you know if you think about the question number one and getting to know the organization if there is somebody internally that is being considered for the role I think that that's a great sign I like succession planning I like people that are ambitious for their careers and want to go further in the organization and apply for more senior roles that's to be expected in every job application I assume in the corporate sector executive sector public sector is very common for you to have an internal competitor I did a podcast um, a while ago it's number 67 why recruitment takes so long the step-by-step -step process from advertising a job to starting a new role so go back to our catalog and please listen to that episode in some organizations some jobs are only advertised internally and then other jobs are perceived to be to sort of lend themselves better to potentially an external candidate coming in but they would also of course always look at internal applicants that are well qualified for the role you should treat internal applicants as any other applicants Yes, they may have an advantage of knowing the organization, but they may not be ready for the role. They may be considered too junior. They, you know, there's lots of um, pros and cons of being an internal candidate. So it could be an internal candidate or an external candidate. doesn't really matter. The truth is, your chance is always 50% at best. You're always competing with somebody else. It starts off really low. You know, there will be dozens of candidates you have five to ten percent then there's a short list you might get you know 30 percent 33 percent and then there are two of you and then you have 50 percent you have to have great respect for the competition doesn't matter if it's an internal or external candidate but yeah you can you can always ask if there are internal candidates if there's somebody you know acting in the position um why the person left you know is this a new role or if not what was the reason for the vacancy? Those are great questions to ask uh, the recruiter or the talent manager dealing with the job applications if you have an opportunity to ask. Okay, question number four. I've named it. It's taking too long. Why is it taking so long for the recruiter to get back to me about a role? Well, first of all, this question is a classic. So I always get this question. It's the reason why I recorded that other episode that I mentioned before, number 67, why recruitment takes so long. But I have to admit that in 2021, at least anecdotally, I've been told by both recruiters 
and candidates that things have taken longer than normal. And I think it's to be expected with countries like Australia, where there has been a lot of interruptions with lockdowns and changes in priorities for organizations, that you may have started a job um, ad and put a position out in the market only to be inundated with other priorities that have made people's lives so much harder. And then that took a back seat for a week or two or more. So I'm not surprised that in 2021, I have heard that question more. And in fact, I have touched base with recruiters to find out from them if they felt that that was the case for them as well. And the answer has been yes. It's being really hard, keeping in touch with my, our clients. So their clients are the employers, not the candidates. And they have told me that uh, the ones I've spoken to have told me that they have found it very frustrating as well. So it has been a frustrating year for everyone, not just job candidates, but also employers and recruiters. So here are my suggestions to dealing with the delays. First of all, follow up. Wait a few days and follow up by email. Wait a, another week or two and follow up again. Try to hear back from them if you can. It, depending on the type of job application that you do, usually I deal with executives, middle managers, where there is a number or an email or somewhere <laughs> that you can get in touch. I know that many times there are no way to contact anybody in which ways. Follow my other advice to be organized. Make sure that you have a spreadsheet where you write down the jobs you've applied for, the links um, to the organizations, write down people's names, copy paste the job ad because that job ad will eventually disappear. I have been personally in that situation a lot where I've applied for a role and I kept in my spreadsheet the link to the job ad only to go to that link and that, jo that job had disappeared and I couldn't really see the job ad anymore. And it was really embarrassing to have to ask the recruiter to send me some information again. But I think it's a good idea to copy paste that into a Word document or a Google document. Just find a way to make sure that you keep track of everything that you're doing so that you are always on top of things. Personally, again, you know, my personal experience has been that sometimes it was months, months before I heard back from a job I'd applied. I know how frustrating it can be, and that's why it's so important to keep track of everything. And as soon as you hear back, if it's a negative response, make sure that you delete that information or file it away so you don't get confused and overwhelmed with all the jobs you're applying for. And make sure that you have that worksheet ready for action if you get a call or an email and that you can then reply back with confidence. There's nothing worse for an employer or a recruiter when you call a candidate and you can you can clearly notice that the candidate has no idea, can't remember the job at all or get you confused with another job. It's embarrassing and awkward. So make sure that you have that all on record for you to help you catch up with the recruiter. And remember, it's no one's fault. Okay, the recruiters are the last people that want delays because they get paid usually by commission. They get bonuses and commissions on top of a very low base salary. So they want to get the job filled. If they haven't gotten back to you is because they're, you know, the delays is really not their fault. And finally, the reason why they are not getting back to you is probably because you didn't get the job. And that's fine too. It's time for you to move on and in fact, you should have continued to apply for jobs, even if you love the job that you applied for and you're waiting to hear back. You have to consider job hunting as a job and have a very good routine where you are always 
looking out for opportunities, applying for them and not just sitting and waiting to hear back from one job. I know if you're following this podcast, you're not doing that because you know better, you're following me and you know how I feel about not putting all your eggs into one basket. But it's just a good reminder because I know sometimes you love a job. You really do. And you, you know you're perfect for it. And you sit there and you wait. <laughs> and um, you can't do that. You really have to keep looking and give yourself permission to be bold. Look and experiment and find opportunities that you think are a good fit for your profile. And do the best job you can in applying for those roles. All right? All right. So that was number four. Now we're going to talk about number five. Before I move on to number five, just one more thing. If you're having trouble with keeping that routine, that very productive routine of job search, download the optimized job search schedule. As a reminder, it's really good. So you don't get trapped into dreaming about that lovely role and um, doing nothing until you hear back. Okay, moving on to question number five. After submitting my application via the company portal, I always send an email to the HR contact advertising the position on LinkedIn. I do this via LinkedIn message or I find the person's company email or I find the, the hiring manager on LinkedIn. This was more of a comment than a question, but I made it into a question because I don't like that way of doing things and I want to explain why. So the best way to apply for the job is to follow the protocol and the instructions in the job portal, be it the job ad or the company. Find as much information as you can before sending the application. Sometimes it's quite tricky. There might There is probably a tiny little link that leads you to instructions, usually if it's a public company or a government department. They usually have a little bit more information on how to apply, the best practices of applying. I'm thinking of some of the jobs that I've had to help people with where I said, look, did you take the moment or take a moment to go to the company website and find out more details? What are the exact instructions on how to apply that you see in the job ad? Follow those. This is my personal opinion as a, an employer and somebody that hires. I get really frustrated when I give very, what I believe are very good instructions in the job ad and people do something different. <laughs> I don't like that. So for example, if I say, look, you have to address in the cover letter this, this, and that, attach a cover letter, attach a resume, send it by such date. If you don't hear back, please, you know, apologies. We're only contacting the candidates that will go through the next round. Like I, I'm very thorough personally in the way that I do my job ads. And then people, instead of doing the way that I prefer, send me their resumes via LinkedIn or they send me an email or that, you know, it's just so confusing and it's really inappropriate as well. So I'll explain to you why. Let's say I'm hiring an EA or somebody to work with me, but that per that person is replacing somebody that is working for me right now. <laughs> I don't want them to send me an email that somebody else can see. It might, you know, sometimes an organization might want to do something in a way that is quite confidential and private. And their emails is, is shared with an EA, it's shared with somebody else in the company, and then there's a lot of gossip. Don't do it. And, and also it disrupts the flow of the work of that person. They might be busy doing something really important for the organization. And then this resume comes into the email address when they were already organizing their time so that they could see all the resumes in one go. 
in their platform of choice. It could be LinkedIn, it could be Indeed, I don't know. Don't disrupt that person's um, job, right? And they have asked for some stuff to be done in a certain way, and ideally you would do it that way. What you can do and should do before applying for the role is do your research. Do you know somebody in this organization that can give you some intelligence, some ideas and information to make your, your uh, application better? Does the job ad includes the line, if you have any questions or would like more information, please contact John Citizen on this email address and this phone number? Then the best thing to do, the appropriate thing to do, is to contact them before sending the job application and not after, right? So before sending the job application, you call, you make sure that you express your interest in the role. You say, you know, I'd love to talk to you uh, before sending my application, just iron out a few things, um, have a couple of questions for you. And if you're worried, you won't have any questions. If you don't have any questions, you're not ready to apply. That's the honest truth. You have to have done your research, um, understand what the organization needs, find out more about the job. Your, your research will raise curiosity, will make you interested in this position, and you will have stuff to say when you're emailing or calling that person, right? So you have to follow protocol, and also if there is a contact, which for most senior roles uh, these days there is usually an email contact and um, sometimes a phone, then contact people before sending the application. The reason why you want to contact, I mean, you, you may have heard this already, but the person know, having spoken to you, having received your email, then they will spend more time looking at your resume. And you can really only benefit from that if you contact them prior. Also, it will enhance your application, make it better because you will get feedback from them before applying. In fact, there has been times when I have contacted the recruiter and said, look, I'm really interested in this role very keen to apply. And I remember the recruiter, Grant, if you're listening, <laughs> saying, Renata, this role is not for you. Believe me, I know you, you're great at what you do, but your background is not what we're looking for. And bless his heart, he was right, you know. I, in fact, was so annoyed with that because I'm really stubborn. I called somebody else and this person was much more diplomatic, <laughs> but I could tell that he also didn't believe that I was the right fit for the role. And I didn't waste my time, you know, and um, I was very busy back then and I didn't want to apply for a role that wasn't was not going to be a good fit for me. I have once looked at a role that I thought was really interesting and then contacted somebody who worked for um, a subsidiary of that company and they said, the culture is terrible. If you want to be, continue to be my friend, don't apply. You're going to hate us if you get in. <laughs> and um, again, I didn't apply. So do the research and contact people before applying for the roles. Follow the rules and the uh, instructions in the job ad. This is my best advice for you. All right. You can see I'm very passionate about that one. Okay. Number six. A recruiter left me a voicemail yesterday to tell me that unfortunately I didn't go through to the next round of interviews. Should I contact her to ask for feedback or should I just let it go? You should definitely contact her to get feedback. So on episode 77 in my interview with James Brooks, that episode was about assessment tests during the recruitment process, but James, towards the end, he, he was very passionate about this, and so am I. It's, 
you should always ask for feedback and insist on getting some type of feedback because it will help you so much. And I know how hard it is. I hear it every day from candidates how hard it is to get feedback these days. But if there is an opportunity, if this person has called you, if you can call her back and ask for, for feedback, you should. Anything that she tells you will benefit your next application. So try as much as you can to get the feedback without stalking. You know, if, if, they, if you don't hear back once, twice, then give up. It's very frustrating. I have a client that invested so much in a um, job application. He had to drive hours and book a hotel to go to this other town to go to this job interview it was a panel interview he sat there he was so well prepared we did a presentation um a consultation before his interview he didn't get the job and we tried so much he tried and i was like you have to i mean you you spend so much time you have to get some feedback nobody ever got back to him and i was so angry and frustrated with that organization because it well i told him it says a lot about the organization right um they know you you went a long way to to um to do that interview drove booked in a hotel um prepared and you know not a word so i find that really frustrating so if you're listening to this and you've been through something similar i feel you but don't give up um and, and definitely don't feel like you shouldn't contact her back it's important to build, especially working with recruiters, to build a good relationship with a couple of recruiters in your town or in your sector. Because even if this job didn't go your way, another job may go your way. And the recruiters are brokers. So if they keep you top of mind, if they had a good impression of you, they will think of you for other opportunities, right? So even if you didn't get a job, don't close that door. If there's an opportunity for you to have a five-minute, ten-minute conversation with them to get some feedback to help you for a future um, application, um, see if you can get back to them and, and get that feedback. Don't give up. And listen to that episode 77 with James. He's um, very much an expert, you know, worked for right management, worked for um, assessment tests. He developed quite a few. So you will be um, in good hands listening to that episode as well. Number seven, should I add entering work on LinkedIn if what I really want is a permanent position? So if you're not familiar with that terminology of entering executive work, it's um, executives that are now becoming portfolio executives, so opting um, out of permanent roles and looking for contracts that are either short-term or long-term. Long-term contracts are usually considered up to 18 months. Above that, it's considered permanent position um, with a mix of uh, contracts or consulting, um, uh, board positions, and so on. So if you are looking for a permanent position, my answer to your question is no. You should not add entering work on LinkedIn. If what you really want is a permanent position, go for it. Because the way, uh, the strategic way of going about looking for a permanent role is very different from how to look for entering work. And if you think you can do both, you're probably not going to do any of them justice and you're not going to do yourself, you're not going to give yourself the best chance of getting that permanent position faster. It's, you know, find, job hunting is hard work. And it needs to be done very strategically. That's 
why I have my job. That's why people hire me to help them bring that job closer, um, spend less time unemployed, make the transition transition smoother. That's why I have my free um, resource for you, which is the optimized job search schedule. But definitely, if I'm working for with a client that wants a permanent position, we do a very strategic uh, plan that's very different from the type of client that's looking for entering executive work. So, no, if you want a permanent job, keep going on looking for a permanent position. And if you want to understand what entering executive work means and how you may be able to start planning for it now, um, you can listen to episode 31 and episode 78, both of which are with Jacinta Whelan. She's a partner at a um, recruitment firm and specialized in entering executive work. And entering executive work, it's not the sort of thing that you can just flick a switch and all of a sudden you'll be doing it. You need to have thought about it, um, hopefully um, prepared for it over time, and you can do that transition way smoother if you have thought about it, understood it. And reading Jacinta's book also really helps. I'll have a link to it below because it's a guidebook for people that are either right now ready for entering work or want to start preparing for it in the future. Number eight, I'm thinking of resigning. What are your thoughts? Well, I did an episode, it's number 89, called Don't Quit Your Job. So you know my thoughts already (laughs) by the title of that episode. Look, I can always brainstorm with you pros and cons, give you alternatives if you're not in a financial position to resign or if you are in a financial position to resign, should you do it? As a coach, I think resignation is the last resource. So I would never encourage people to resign. It's a risky thing to be doing, to be out of work. And you need to take this path with your eyes wide open because Even if you are in a very stressful work environment, if you are unemployed for a long period of time, you're replacing one stress with another, right? If and when you do it, you need to to do it with a sense of confidence. You need to relax into it almost, which is a weird thing to say, but it's really a privilege to um, take time off if you do it, if you opt into it, it's a privilege. Even if unemployment was not your choice, remember that you may not have time to dedicate to yourself again in the future once you get another job. So for those of you who are unemployed, enjoy, recover your energies, reset your energies and come back swinging when you're ready. You know, it's important to take a full break and relax into it and, and really unwind your brains. Those microaggressions, that sort of micro stress, it ends up over time. And it makes you so annoyed with work that all of a sudden you have the great resignation and everybody resigning like we have right now. So, you know, sometimes you see people that feel so trapped and they contact me and they want to do coaching with me. They don't do coaching. And next thing you know, they have resigned. And I'm thinking, why did you do that? If you had invested, you know, like one consultation with me, you would probably have more income. And, and be able to invest more in yourself in a way that's more secure. So people sometimes make very emotional decisions when they're tired and stressed. And ideally, you want to do something that will make sure that you are not replacing one stress with another. And it's the best for you and your career over time as well. 
don't be afraid of it, but be careful and make sure that you have the right support system around you if you do decide to resign. Okay, question number nine. Some of my friends tell me that they get contacted by recruiters regularly on LinkedIn. I've only had two in 10 years! Exclamation mark. Is it just me? Is it just the industry I'm in? Why is this so? So several things. First of all, yes, sometimes recruiters call you, but the jobs are not right for you. How many people have been contacted by recruiters offering weird jobs? So just be careful with that. The other thing is, yes, a lot of recruiters are using LinkedIn to passively look for great candidates. What does that mean? It means that they are putting job boards out there. It means that they're putting job ads out there, but they're also looking for candidates through keywords and search. And I'm a little bit worried about this person's LinkedIn profile and activity because I believe that even if the weird recruiters are contacting you, it's better than no recruiters contacting you, right? So if the right recruiters are contacting you, your LinkedIn is great. You know, if the, the jobs that they are in they're offering you are the sort of jobs that you would be interested in, maybe the future, maybe you're not right now, then you have a great LinkedIn profile. If the recruiters contacting you are contacting for jobs that are below your expectations, that are not right for you, then you need to work on a LinkedIn. And if you're not getting any recruiters whatsoever, Again, you should be looking at your LinkedIn profile and activity and make sure that you invest some time in that and get it working to your advantage. There are two um, other episodes of this podcast that you can listen to. Number 46, which is a LinkedIn Q&A and number 34, how to make your LinkedIn profile stand out. And those are great episodes, but also considering, consider doing a LinkedIn audit with me. And, um, you, you know, we can sort of review your LinkedIn profile and see what we can do to make it better. Number 10, what are some good experiences to put on your CV while on a gap in between employment? For example, volunteering experience. So this is the thing. Don't be afraid of gaps. Gaps are fine. Gaps are okay. If employers get really fussy about gaps, especially during COVID and pandemic, frankly, you don't need that employer. I'm sorry, <laughs> being quite honest here, but even LinkedIn now has, um, and I've mentioned this probably, I think, in my Q&A, I don't know, one of my live sessions about LinkedIn. LinkedIn now has um, all these new sabbatical, maternity leave, parental leave, carers leave that you can use to explain your gap on LinkedIn. People, we're now in 2021. People are now very open to um gaps, especially after the pandemic. If you have lost your job just before the pandemic and you couldn't get a job for months, sometimes more than a year, I think that during a pandemic that's to be expected. There's nothing to be worried about, ashamed about. Yes, recency is important and I don't want anybody to be lying around watching Netflix all day. I want you to remember that you are still a professional even if you don't have a job and you have to keep learning. You have to keep reading and getting in touch with people and connecting with your network. I know people that have been out of the job for a long time. They may have decided that they wanted to start a business. They may have been, you know, too unwell during COVID. And they're still 
you know, really employable and have two offers on the table. I kid you not, right? And these are people that are, they consider themselves professionals even when they don't have an employer. That's the difference about being an executive in 2021 as opposed to 2001. So pull up your socks, as they say here in Australia, and don't worry about your gap and explain that gap the way that it should. You know, don't try to fill it up with things that are not authentic or genuine. Okay, number 11. Can you share your approach to keeping in touch with your former colleagues? Yes, I can. I love keeping in touch with my former colleagues. I wish I could keep in touch more with my former colleagues. I think the best thing to do is to make a list of those colleagues that you really have enjoyed working with and um, are you in touch with them on LinkedIn? Some colleagues have been such great friends of yours. I would include them on Facebook as well if you use Facebook. Um, check if they are on Twitter. You know, some people are really funny on Twitter and use Twitter more than LinkedIn. Find them and um, use social media to uh, connect with them and comment and like their posts and remember their birthdays. All these things are really important to keep in touch. The other thing you can do is call them from time to time. Um, every time I'm in Sydney, for example, I make a list of the people that I'd love to see again and I check with them. Are they available for a coffee? Um, if I am going to be in town, I'm going to Melbourne. I live in Melbourne, but I, I'm not in the CBD as often as I used to be, as I think is the case for a lot of people listening today. And if I am going to drive to the CBD, to have breakfast with friends, I check if there are other people that I can meet that same day and make that day a networking day. So there is always, um, you know, opportunities for you to catch up. Don't be shy and reach out to people. And I can see that that's happening more and more. The other thing that I also like people to consider is going for a walk with somebody that you know lives in your neighborhood and snail mail you know it's almost Christmas time sometimes it's good to send that special person in your career and it could be a mentor or a great boss that you had ages ago send them a Christmas card why not so think about all of these things and remember to make that a habit and a routine and be consistent with it and not just do it when you need it just do it when you when you think about them and to make them happy and not to make you happy. Do you have a question that I didn't address today? Well, let me know. Send me a message with your question in any of my social media channels or send it to me by email by replying to my newsletter. I hope that you're a subscriber to my newsletter already. If not, remember to check the episode show notes because I have all the links there, links to all the other um, episodes that I mentioned and anything else that I mentioned. And if you are in a hurry and you have tons of questions about your personal situation, remember, you can always book a consultation with me. Go to my website and find out more about how that works. Remember to check out the Reset Your Career as it may be the answer to your prayers. Go to my website. and There's also a link in the show notes for that. That's all for now. Until next time. Bye.